Please stand as you are able for the reading of the scripture. It's from John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And it's edited by James Cruz, and the poem I'm sharing is written by James Cruz. And it is called Only Love. Only love is big enough to hold all the pain of this world. That's a quote from Sharon Salzberg. And so I imagine the entire earth as one beating heart held in the space of this universe, inside a larger body we can't fathom filling with enough love to lead each one of us out of the cave of our personal pain. To lead all humans as one out of collective fear, rage, and hate into a place of peace that is only found within our own hearts, beating in sync with the pulse of this planet we were born to inhabit. Despite the daily storms which overtake us and make us forget we are the lifeblood pumped in every particle of love we generate running into rivers, lakes, and creeks, evaporating into the air we breathe, give back and breathe again. So generally speaking, Mother's Day is one of those days that some people call a Hallmark holiday. We get great cards and flowers and all this stuff. I haven't heard from my children yet. This does not surprise me. It's gotten to the point that when your children don't sleep late, you're up early in the morning, but when your kids get older and they start sleeping late, so do the parents. So either that or they're on the road going to a soccer game. One or the other, but I haven't heard from them. But Mother's Day inspires in us all this gooey, gushy stuff about love. But when we look at the passage for this Sunday, it begins with, if you keep my commandments. 
Generally speaking, my friends, if there is an if, it's followed by a then. If then is what makes us look at accountability. If we are going to do X, then Y may or may not happen. If we skip X, Y is never going to happen. If thens are really important, and I think it's very important that Scripture uses if you keep my commandments. It's not if you want to keep my commandments today and tomorrow, but you skip, you know, like take Wednesdays off or something like that, or when you feel like it, keep my commandments. Or when it's convenient, keep my commandments. Those are the things Jesus says. It is like a demand. If you want what I have, then these are the requirements. And the biggest requirement that Jesus puts upon us is really not all that difficult. Jesus took the Ten Commandments, all the whole smash of them, took them all together and made them into three. And we still complain that, well, who can do that? Three commandments aren't really that hard. Love God with all your heart and strength and soul and mind. Is that so hard? Is it hard to do? Is it difficult to love God? To love your neighbor. Well, we're not so good about that. Because we'll love our neighbor as long as they do things the way we think they should. And if everyone would do things the way I think they should be done, there would be no problems, right? Hmm, see? See? Eh. The culture in this is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So those of us who get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, ugh, or the people that say, I hate myself, then they're incapable of loving others. It's love your neighbor as you love yourself. Three commandments. It's complicated because we're human. It's easy if we don't spend a whole lot of time trying to pick it apart. We are people who think that if we have the answers to all of life's problems, that people are going to follow along very easily. But because we're individuals and we all think differently and process things differently and have different life experiences, we don't agree on how things are supposed to be done. Not you know, it doesn't matter whether it's in church or whether it's at your job or if church is your job. It's one of those things that we forget that we need to make space for other people, that we need to make space for people to grow into their own selfhood. 
I spent the last three days doing a Zoom seminar, which my cats love Zoom. They spent three days walking back and forth in front of the com computer, and everybody loved them. Yesterday morning, they were gone for a while, and they said, your cat's okay? Your cat's okay? I said, they're sleeping. They're so very tired from walking back and forth yesterday. <laughs> but we were talking a lot about adaptive leadership and adaptive change. Now, I know these aren't words that are familiar to you, but most of the change that churches do is technical change. We're going to take the pews out and put chairs in. That's a technical change. We're going to stop using the organ and only have piano. Technical change. We're going to stop doing bulletins altogether because we've got screens. Technical change. These are things that you can see Everybody knows what, what it involves, and it's done. Other changes have to do with changing your heart. If we are going to move forward as a church, if we're going to continue to survive, we need to do something different from what we have done in the past. Same old, same old isn't going to work. If I had a dime for every time somebody said to me, we just need to get more people to come to church, if we fill the pews, it will also fill the offering plates, and we will be fine. But nobody has a plan for how that's going to happen. And I would maintain that filling the pews is a technical change. You want to fill the pews? Offer breakfast. People will come if they're fed. You want to get kids here? Offer sports. Put in a, put in a gym. You'll get the kids here. But if you want to change the ethos of the church, and I'm on real rocky ground here. If you want to change the ethos, you need to become what you say you are. We are a reconciling church. We are proud of the fact that we have a rainbow flag out front, and we welcome all people. But do you have relationships with these people? Is there something that the church is doing for these people? Big question mark at the end of that. And lots of, like, hmm. We claim that we care about the problem of homelessness in this particular community. We house Family Promise executive offices. And two or three times a year, we have Family Promise families here. Do you know their names? Do you know who's here? Do you know how many children they have? Do you have any idea what they're facing? Does it make a difference? Have you invited them to come and worship? Do you have any idea who they are.
if you see them in the hall. If we care about homelessness of families in our own community, we have to find a way to be in relationship with the homeless families in this community. That, my friends, is loving your neighbor. Not just the person that's sitting next to you that you've known for 45 years. It's loving the person you don't know. Sometimes we get so caught up in maintaining the status quo that we don't see the problems right in front of us. I got in trouble when I first got here when I said, if you do nothing, you've probably got 10 years to be a viable church. The way things have been going since I've been here for 11 months today, the way I see it, I don't think you've got 10 years. I really don't. You have to make some serious changes in how you do church or how you be church. Because what you did 25 years ago is no longer applicable. Everybody wants to see full, pure, vibrant Sunday school but we won't look at it from a different point of view. I've shared with some people, I don't know if I preached it because when I don't write anything down, I can't check. So, a number of years ago, I did a confirmation class with a bunch of kids, and we met on a Sunday afternoon with the parents to set up how we were going to meet and when we were going to meet. And the parents always sat there and they said, well, we've always met at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And the kids are like, ugh, Sunday afternoon? And I'm doing, oh, God, Sunday afternoon? And the kids said, Sunday afternoon isn't good. We've, you know, we've got homework to do, and we want to get ready for the week, and we might want to do something fun on Sunday after church. And I said, okay, how about you guys go in the other room and you figure out when you would like to meet? Now, there were about nine kids, I think, nine or ten. And so the parents were like, well, we've always done it that way. Those are the words that will kill a church. We've always done it that way or we've never done it that way. Those are the things that are going to kill a church. Don't try anything new. Don't ever try something new. So the kids come back in, and the middle school, which is the, they were all in the middle school, was kitty corner from the church. And they said, you know, We'd like to meet on Wednesday afternoon after school. We can all just walk over, and we'll meet for an hour and a half after school from 3.30 until 5. And I said, okay, that works. That's great. One kid missed one meeting because she was sick in the whole 13 weeks that we did confirmation because they were invested in when it was, when it took place, they had a say. It wasn't they were told what they had to do. They elected when they were going to do it. 
was the most successful attendance-wise of any confirmation class I've ever taught. There's another story about Anna Howard Shaw, who was the first woman ordained in the Methodist Protestant Church in Massachusetts back in the day. And she left ministry so that she could get involved in the suffrage movement. And she was on a trip to California, and she got stranded in Denver because a train had derailed, and she couldn't get the train to California, and she was really concerned about it, but she was there with Elizabeth Cady Stanton, didn't want to make a huge stink because, you know, after all, it's Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And she finally decided that she was going to take a train to Nevada and then cut across on a different train to get to California. Elizabeth K. Stanton said, if you go to Nevada, you're going the wrong way. And Anna Howard Shaw said, going the wrong way is better than not going anywhere at all. And I would say to you, as the Wesley United Methodist Church, if you do something wrong, it's better than doing nothing. Experiment. Try something. See what will work. And stop wringing your hands and saying, oh, we can't. We can't. We can't. We don't have the people. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. You do. You wealthy and gifts for ministry and it's not somebody else's job it is your job each one of you has something you can do to guarantee the next generation has this church but doing nothing isn't an option. Status quo isn't an option. If you are not moving forward, you are moving backward. So to be accountable here is not accountable to me, but it's accountable to your vows of membership. You are accountable to God you are accountable to one another. And you cannot point fingers and say it's their job or they need to do it because I don't even know who they is and neither do you. They is this nebulous something out there. They said, they did, they want. You ask who they is, oh no. It is your job as individuals and as a congregation, as people of God serving together, you need to take responsibility and be accountable. All those things that God has given you, all those gifts that have been bestowed upon you, need to be utilized, not just for Wesley, for the kingdom of God in this place. Amen.